1: I can't help fear that Lady Susan Vernon
0: would destroy every comfort of our lives.
1: With pleasure. How and gentleman.
0: I'm enjoying Sir James's oh. visit to Churchill. Churchill, that's how you say it, all together like that. I'd heard church and hill, but couldn't find either. All I could see was this big house. <laughs> You promised that you would give up all contact with this woman.
1: What a mistake you made marrying him. Too old to be governable, too young to die. Lady Susie. How dare you address me, sir? Be gone, I will have you whipped. Outrageous. Have you never met him? No, I know him well. I would never speak to a stranger like that. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast publicly humiliated in a bookstore by our secret lover, Kieran Hines. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died and we're here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Chris File, and I'm here as always with my wealthy young suitor, who's also a bit of a rattle, Joe Reed.
0: I'm glad you included that because that was definitely one of the first things. My my notes for this episode are almost entirely just like writing down dialogue and quotes from this movie. Um, and one of the earlier ones was just uh, James Martin, a bit of a rattle, because <laughs> what a great phrase, just like, and I have no familiarity with the Jane Austen novel, novella, however this presented itself, but... That seemed to me like, oh, I bet you that's like directly from the book. It took me a second to realize
1: what a rattle would probably mean as to like call someone a rattle, and then it's I realized it's just like a baby rattle, and then I, of course, was howling in laughter again. It took me this time watching it to figure it out, which was it's one of those words that've
0: seen it. Yeah, it's just one of those words that even if you don't know like the specific contact the specific definition uh that it was used at the time, you're just like, oh, once you meet him, you're just like, oh, yes. Well, of course. Like yeah, that he's just got even three sounds...
1: tiny rocks rattling right, around in his head. Right, that's what right. that's all that's there.
0: Yeah. Uh, what a wonderful character. What a wonderful performance. What Tom a Bennett's genius so good in performance.
1: This movie. Like yeah. I would probably put it if I was going to do like top 10 comedic performances of the past decade, he yeah. would be in there, possibly yeah, it's the only really, man in there.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really it's really something. And for a movie that beyond Beckinsale and Chloe Sevigny doesn't really travel in, because Whit Stillman for such a long time was kind of playing with the same kind of repertory company of people in and out of all of his movies, and this movie represented even Damsels in Distress with large like. A different cast than his like you know metropolitan trilogy still mm-hmm. felt like they're you know these very erudite college people, and just the the going to Englandness of it all here you you wondered where those kind of through lines would come in, and he i mean obviously Stephen fry's a fantastic uh, idea for a British Witt Stillman movie. But, like, Tom Bennett really takes to that Witt Stillman dialogue so well.
1: Well, and he... I mean, it's... It's a really fine line for this character, too. Because, like, we've seen a lot of idiot buffoons trying to present themselves as if they're not in movies. But, like, I don't really know how to put it of what makes this one so funny. It's maybe... It comes to a degree of, like, it's not a complete buffoon, but it is, you know, somebody who is not uh, uh, on the same level of even these very simple people that he shares, you know, his company with. Um, Well,
0: he's completely guileless. He's sort of... there's nothing um, kind of harmful about his idiocy. It's just... You know, the original smooth brain, I guess, just the, the original, you know, that, that Churchill line is a perfect introductory line for him because he sort of like travels down the rabbit hole of his own idiocy a little bit, and he's <laughs> very much just like trying to over-explain why he thought church and hill and and there's it was looking for a church and then it was looking for a hill, and he just keeps going on and on and on, and nobody is like bailing him out of this conversation whatsoever, and I don't think he even realizes that he needs to be bailed out. Like that's the other thing that's so charming about him. Well, I mean, I find his uh, inability
1: to say his idiocy in very few words incredibly
0: relatable. Uh, um,
1: Yeah, I just, I love that performance so much.
0: Yeah, But even just the rest of the cast, like, you know, uh, Emma Greenwell, who I don't believe is British, although now I want to look this up because I mostly knew her from Shameless, American Shameless. And yes, she's from... uh, uh, Connecticut, so... Um, also she played, Morfitt
1: Clark, famously of St. Maude now.
0: Okay, which I didn't make that connection until you just did right before we started recording and, like, it makes all the sense in the world now that I watch this. Was just like, of course that's her and also just, there is something about Frederica in this movie where I just, like, have no patience for her whatsoever. Like, I kind of... I mean, you're invited to take Lady Susan's perspective in this movie anyway, so you sort of have... Um, you kind of adopt these kind of low opinions of everybody else who isn't, uh, Mrs. Johnson, who isn't the Chloe Sevigny character. Um, and yet, like, I'm, I'm going through this whole movie and just like, poor Lady Susan with this just like absolute drip of a daughter. <laughs> just like, I don't understand why all the DeCourcy's <laughs> like her so much. And everybody, like, they keep calling, coming up with like, you know, the, the, uh, the, the Kent Nightingale and whatever and the, uh, the, um, what's the other one? The person at the end who's like the something songbird, the Hampshire songbird or something like that. And they start fighting over what her like beautiful nickname is going to be. And I keep I'm like, uh, what's this Jason Bateman in Arrest Development about Mae Whitman? I keep just being like her? Really? Like all of this, all of this fuss over her, huh? Um, but that fits perfectly with her uh St. Maud character, who is also this very kind of like overestimated and it's very easy for uh for what's-her-face to be uh to be mean to her and whatnot um
1: i would also call out um jen murray as lady lucy who's kind of all oh the my God. shrill of them the one who is phenomenal if not sobbing at any given moment on the verge of it um on the verge yep. of a complete mental breakdown at all times as just being so funny but like as you were saying, this whole adopting of their kind of mean, catty, um, like, the, the type of reads against these characters that if you're not paying explicit attention to the dialogue, you might miss how just, like, so the funny but also just scathingly mean yes. they are to yes. these characters. And it's perfectly cast in this Wit Stillman, like, way that, like he gets what he's doing in that, like you have the two stars who are the like caddy fab, more fabulous than the rest of these people friends. And yes. then at least at this point, the rest of the cast was pretty much people aside from Stephen Fry. we maybe had at that point, never seen before. Right. Um, Except Xavier Samuel's in like Twilight movies, right?
0: Right. He's like that sort of like, where do I know this f- handsome face from? And it's just like, oh, okay. Like other movies where he plays the where do I know this handsome face from guy. Like that's sort of his that's his vibe um in this little era. I don't know. He was one of the was he one of the um sons and sunfuckers. Am I making that up? Maybe this did have a sunfucker's
1: uh Connection somehow maybe it was him.
0: Yes, when I was doing my was. research,
1: we should specify to unfamiliar listeners when we joke, right. "Son fuckers. It's the movie "Adore" with Robin Wright
0: and Naomi Watts. They'll think we're os. He plays Naomi Watts' son, oppo- opposite um, James Frenchville, who plays Robin Wright's son. Okay, so so he has uh, the affair with Robin Wright. Does that make him?
1: The one that die Doesn't one of them die? Is that true? Maybe. Maybe. I've seen that movie. I think... Well, I know that one of them is just, like, a fling, and the other one develops into a relationship, but there are consequences to that, and I
0: think one of them dies. Spoilers I for mean, that would feel... Like adore. Yeah, that would feel appropriate to the kind of, uh, you know... Uh, it's it there's there's a damage vibe to it and like obviously like the sun dies and damage and so you're just like oh okay so um wait now i'm trying to read the wikipedia page as i talk to you and double uh and multitask and so i don't know i don't know if anybody dies anybody who has seen sunfuckers more recently than we have like let us know let us know if anybody dies um one thing I wanted to bring up before we get into love and friendship, like too far down into the rabbit hole of love and friendship, because um, I have I recorded the uh, 2022, uh, well, 2021 uh, Movies for Grown Ups Awards when yes. it aired on PBS a few weeks ago. We and We have it's been to sort unpack
1: of... this because you just watched this last night and you are still reeling.
0: Right, it had been sitting on my uh, DVR for a while. I had gotten spoiled on a couple of the winners, and I was so busy with Oscar stuff that I was just like, "I'm just going to leave it there, and I'm gonna, you know, it's one of those like I'll save it for a you know quiet evening in or something like that." And now we're switching cable companies, so our DVR is going away. So I was like, "Well, I now I need to watch it," and nobody had told me. The presentation that it had taken on, where um, it was a fully virtual award show. So it was unlike the, you know, the Critics' Choice and the Oscars and the BAFTAs and everything else this year that has gone back to in person um, award shows, perhaps because (laughs) you're dealing with people over the age of 50 and maybe there's a little bit more of a, you know, COVID concern. concern. People are, you know, more in that age demo where we have to be a little bit more careful. And for whatever reason, if that's the reason or not, uh fully virtual per, uh, awards presentation, except for the fact that Alan Cumming was the host. And so there's Alan Cumming in his, like, his fully, like, silver LeMay suit thing oh, yes. Um with an accompanist and fully doing, like production numbers for each of the best film nominees Billy Crystal style. And so he's doing it to just an empty room. Just like fully like song and dance parodies to an absolutely empty room. It is when I say dystopian, what I mean is <laughs> that. It's it was so incredibly odd. And then for the winners, they didn't pre- they don't they didn't pre- uh present Every single one. And for most of the categories beyond best film, best actor, and best actress. They didn't even read off the nominees. They just presented the winner. And um, the winner then had a little, like, dialogue, Zoom dialogue with somebody else from their film. So, like, Ingenue Ellis won Supporting Actress for King Richard. And she then proceeds to have kind of a, like lengthy, like, sort of, like, five-minute little Q&A with uh, Demi Singleton, who played Serena Williams in the movie. And so, like, when Nicole Kidman won, now, they read off all the nominees for that, but, like, Nicole Kidman wins Best Actress for being the Ricardos, which is, like, the first award presented, actually, which is kind of odd. And so she and Aaron Sorkin, like, proceed to have, like, a, like, variety actors on actor style just, like, conversation for, like, five minutes or whatever, talking about whatever. And I was like, this is... I respect the effort to do something different, that if you're going to be a Zoom award show, you can't just be sort of a sad facsimile of an awards presentation and and do it sort of the same way you normally would. And also, I imagine that a lot of people probably at this point in the pandemic probably wouldn't want to sit around on Zoom for two hours right, for like, a thing that they might not win. Mm-hmm. So this felt like a smart way to do it, where you only have to really wrangle seven or eight celebrities rather than, you know, 20. And so it was an interesting way of doing that. I don't think I would ever want to see it that way again. And hopefully next year we are at a point where we can have all the M4G's nominees in one place because, they, you know, they were showing clips of like old ceremonies and whatever, and it was, you know, you start to feel nostalgic. They had a nice lifetime achievement award presentation for Lily Tomlin, where again, Goldie Hawn via Zoom sort of like introduces it. And then Lily Tomlin gives a very nice exception speech. She quoted Ruth Gordon from Ruth Gordon's Oscar speech, which I thought was very cool. Cause like that means that like, Lily's one of us who like, you know, remembers when Ruth Gordon said, you know, I can't I can't tell you how encouraging this is. Um, which is one of my favorite uh, Oscar acceptance lines, but anyway, I wanted to talk to you about some of the more unhinged choices in the kind of uh lower categories the major categories like Belfast wins best movies for grown ups movie for grown ups which like obviously I had actually i was going through i was w- w- reading through my uh my vulture predictions for it and I had <laughs> uh with the with the uh caveat that i know that like best movie for grown-ups and best director never matches up at the m4gs so my feeling was they'll give Brana director and then for picture i just took a flyer on being the ricardos because the m4gs nominated it a lot and i was like oh well they like obviously like this movie a lot more than you know other people but anyway belfast Winning Best Movie for Grown Ups makes all the sense in the world. They did give Campion Best Director. So Jane Campion truly did win Best Director everywhere this year. Like, there was nowhere she didn't win. There's probably um, nowhere else they could
1: award Power of the Dog, too. Right,
0: exactly. I kind of just assumed that they wouldn't award Power of the Dog anywhere. But, like, cool and, like, great for that movie. Um, Will Smith wins Best Actor for King Richard, and so it was odd watching it from the other side of history and being like oh okay and like he had you know this nice little chat with sanaya sydney and that was you know really nice and sort of like oh happier times uh kidman wins for being the ricardo's best actress the one that i had gotten spoiled for was jared leto winning for house of gucci which is spectacular the craziest choice they could have made this is why the m4gs need to be the new globes i swear to god they do go for like all the other options: Karen Hines, J.K. Simmons, Timothy Spall for Spencer, and David Strathairn for Nightmare Alley. All of those seem like they would fit more with the stereotypical movies for grown-ups voter that you're picturing in your mind. And they said, "Nope, we're going for Jared Leto and House of Gucci." And stunning
1: uh, that Jared Leto accepted that nomination, considering he's outing himself as over fifty which everything else in the world says that he does
0: not want to acknowledge. That's an excellent point. That's an excellent point. Um, But the the classic M4G thing is they'll do the most unhinged thing and give Jared Leto a supporting actor for House of Gucci, and then they'll do the they were the only ones who were smart enough to do this thing, which is give Tony Kushner best screenwriter for West Side Story. Like, Kushner was so underrewarded all season, got snubbed from the Oscar nomination, and finally getting his laurels from the best precursor, the m um gs Ellis, as I said, one supporting actress. But I want to get into some of the more, like Coda wins best intergenerational film, which I did call correctly because that felt uh, right. Best buddy picture. Are you looking at these winners or am I going to surprise you? If I, tell I am you not. That? I feel like okay. I have not been, I thought I was spoiled on some
1: of these, but I wasn't. I know that last year, Best Buddy Picture they gave to Defy Bloods, which yes. is a movie about friends. <laughs> yes. But um, everybody dies or is maimed and is uh, experiencing uh, grievous trauma throughout the film.
0: Right. Okay, so I'm going to read you the nominees then for Best Buddy Picture uh, a movie called 12 Mighty Orphans that seems to star Luke Wilson and uh, a football Sheen. movie. Sure. Um, A movie called Queen Bees, which I've also never seen, but oh, look at this cast. I'm guessing um, Jackie Weaver is in this. I mean, it seems so. Ellen Burstyn, James Caan, Anne Margaret, Jane Curtin, Christopher Lloyd, and Loretta Divine. The poster has uh, Jane Curtin, Loretta Divine, Anne Margaret, and Ellen Burstyn fully photoshopped in standing around uh, it's Loretta Devine is standing atop a or sitting atop a motorcycle and they're all just fully photoshopped in that's the bottom half of the poster the Listen, top half of the poster
1: zero idea what this movie is and it gets my vote
0: yeah 100% um, uh, at the top of the poster is Ellen Burstyn and James Caan in kind of like a romantic forehead to uh, forehead sort of pose anyway a movie called Off the Rails which I've also not seen but which stars Kelly the late Kelly Preston. Um, so I don't know when that movie was made or came out, but um, uh, off the rails. And then the two movies you've heard of, which are Finch, the uh, buddy film between Tom Hanks and a robot he created, his buddy and robot. The Harder They Fall, which is uh, the uh, western, the Netflix produced western with Jonathan Majors and Zazie Beats and. Delroy Lindo, and... Is uh, that the winner? RJ Siler. That's the one I thought was going to win. The winner ends up being Finch. You've uh, to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> Tom Hanks and a robot voiced by Caleb Landry-Jones. So... uh, It's that's, Caleb Landry-Jones? Yes! That's no. the reason why I was so, like, I hilariously received. excited for it. Caleb Landry-Jones, I'm pretty sure, um, is the voice... Of, now I'm going to go into, again, the Wikipedia description and make sure that I'm not wrong. Um, yeah, yes. This is, is how the bleak robot. the
1: movie landscape is in the modern era. Tom Hanks can re-Turner and Hooch himself with Chappie,
0: and it's yep. a movie that apparently is real. And won uh, Movies for ups Awards. Okay, so next, uh, Unhinged. All right, less unhinged, but sort of like a head-scratcher. Best Grown-Up Love Story. So Belfast was nominated for, in one nomination, for two separate couples. So it was nominated for Katrina Balfe and Jamie Dornan, and also Judy Dench and Karen Hines. I'm glad uh, that
1: they have confirmed that the Grown-Up Love Story is about specific love stories in the movie. We've famously, uh, Wild Mountain Time was included, and we were like, wait,
0: between Ooh. Right, um, but wait, Cyrano, Jamie,
1: Jamie Dornan and Katrina Balfe are not over fifty.
0: They certainly no. We've talked about this before. My my sort of head scratching things about how they can nominate uh, aspects of movies that have nothing to do with uh, grown up uh, people over fifty. Because also, uh, Cyrano is nominated for Peter Dinklage, who is over fifty, I imagine, um, and uh, Haley Bennett, who is very much not. Um, the Duke, of course, the late uh, Roger Michel's movie, uh, Jim Broadbent and Helen Mirren. The Tragedy of Macbeth, who doesn't love the love story between uh, uh, Lady Macbeth and Macbeth. Uh, Frances McDormand and Denzel Washington. And then a movie called 23 Walks, uh, David, Dave Johns and Alison Steadman. So of those, who would you imagine would win? I predicted Belfast.
1: Is it The Tragedy of Macbeth?
0: It's not. It's Cyrano, which is less unhinged than the tragedy of Macbeth would be, but also um, kind of puzzling. It's like Cyrano's only nomination from uh, M4G's. And, or did Dinklage. Yeah, Dinklage got nominated for Best Actor. But anyway. Um, and I like Cyrano more than a lot of people do. But um, head scratcher. All right, here's this is my what's favorite.
1: What's great about the M4Gs, is that it's like MTV Movie Awards categories
0: and Golden yeah. Globes what-the-fuck winners. Yep. Absolutely. That's absolutely right. Alright, last one. Um, last one of the head-scratchers that I want to bring to you. Best Time Capsule. Our oh, favorite unhinged category, which we still have no idea what they mean by Best Time Capsule. Didn't because win Best Time Capsule? Previous like winners reminder. of Best Time Capsule include... Uh, Mank, Harriet, If Beale Street Could Talk, Dunkirk, Jackie, Love and Mercy, Big Eyes, American Hustle, Argo, J. Edgar. So those are your more recent winners in this category. Um, again... What do we mean when we say that Harriet is the best time capsule? What exactly are we saying? What are we sort of is this a nostalgia category? Is this about like accuracy and production quality? Is this like what do we mean, A-A-R-P? Like we need we need some answers. So anyway, nominees this year, being the Ricardos, Belfast, Licorice Pizza, which once again, what is Licorice Pizza doing on <laughs> movies for grown-ups like famously about young people, The uh, uh, Licorice Pizza, uh, insane. Um, Spencer and West Side Story. What do you think wins? Spencer, Spencer, yeah, Spencer <laughs> wins. I kind of spoiled it by telling you the Jackie one in its year, but like, what are, what do we mean when we say Spencer is the best time capsule? I mean, the like, early
1: nineties.
0: But like, is it that it? most effectively evokes the vibe of the early 90s because I would even argue that it doesn't... So I mean, I guess the mic and the mechanics of it all or, like, the hairdo. And, like, maybe that's the idea that, like, oh... The KFC logo. It looked looked like Diana looked, so it's the best time capsule. But also, again, to me, there's a hint of um, sort of nostalgia to the idea of best time capsule. And so I'm just like, what exactly... Are we nostalgic for in Spencer? I long for the days of um, psychological torture of <laughs> royals. Like, what are we talking about? What exactly are in we talking about? In some type of royal manner
1: where time doesn't exist because it's the same as it has always been
0: and it will always be. Like, Meanwhile, Belfast is right there giving you the exact kind of unhinged thing, which is Belfast is kind of a movie that sometimes feels nostalgic for a very violent time. <laughs> and <laughs> like that's kind of the, uh, the dichotomy that the M4Gs brings to this category usually. And they already loved Belfast, so I like I, I, there's no explaining it. They are almost as inscrutable as the uh, the algorithm for the IMDb game, and for that we do love them. On top of being, uh,
1: this is my suspicion about the M4Gs, because I feel like the winners are voted on by like publicists or like you know picked so that everybody shows up to their party. So sure. it's like the the categories are MTV Movie Award vibes. The unhinged winners are Golden Globes vibes, but then also yeah. the kind of spreading of the wealth is. Please buy a table at our dinner ceremony. National Board of Review
0: vibes, which comes across as even more odd in a year when there was no in-person ceremony. So you know, it's all wild. It's all wild and crazy kids, and um, wild and crazy adults, I guess. As it goes here, um, but anyway, that's our movies for grown-ups update. We love what you do. Um, please. Bring us on as red carpet reporters next year or something. We are immensely available. We are incredibly available. Actually, I don't want to do red carpet. Let us like sit in a booth and like, I don't know you want us to be the donald sutherland and the glenn close at the one million percent is what i want absolutely <laughs> that is what i want thank you for articulating that
1: okay we will be in the booth and when uh i don't know barb and sargo to Vista del Mar, that grown-up <laughs> love story we will be like annie mumlo Kristen wig and jamie dornan are not 50 but we're still eligible for this award
0: all right um back to the business at hand uh one other note before
1: back to the business of hand though. Yes. This is a very businessy episode. Yes. Uh, we have
0: our May Mini series
1: coming up. Yes. Uh we've kind of slowly teased it out, but uh this week, pay attention to our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. We're going to be revealing what uh the May Mini series will be. We're gonna have another listener's choice where you can pick because we will be having five episodes in May. We'll be yeah. having some guests a new guest a returning guest
0: it's gonna be it's gonna be it's gonna be very pleasing i can't imagine anybody taking issue with any of the movies that we choose i do feel um,
1: like it's going to be one of the most like minutiae unpacking things we've ever done i agree at the same time probably being all movies that our listeners have definitely seen
0: before yeah yes i'm very excited got some great guests lined up We've got some great movies lined up. We're going to give you guys a listener's choice. It's going to be great. It's going to be fun. Fantastic. So to pull us back into love and friendship, Joe, would you
1: like to give a 60
0: second plot description? Of the two of us, am I love or am I friendship?
1: Ooh. Um. I don't know. I think you're maybe love and I'm friendship. Sure. Let's do that. I don't know.
0: It's a weird question, and I don't know why I posed it to you
1: quite it's that a way. It's a weird you know question, what? considering what this movie's uh, ideas on love and friendship are. <laughs> yes.
0: Yes. Well, I feel like the friendship of the title feels... I feel secure, and that's, you know, your Beckinsale and Sevigny, um friendship. The value of two people who feel like they know more than everybody else, being able to sort of, you know, take each other's company and... And be entirely honest with each other in a way that they're not able to with everybody else. So, right. um, the At love a time that
1: like being completely honest with each other requires, you know, a level of verbosity.
0: Yes. Uh, the love is the one where I may be less, uh, you know, less of a pinpoint on it, but you know. Great movie. Also, as a title, because
1: it's based off of the Jane Austen novella Lady Susan, who is the Kate Beckinsale character, it would be weird to have a Witt Stillman movie named after one of the characters because even when there is like yes. a protagonist or like two or three characters that a movie focuses on, they are right. all ensemble movies.
0: Right. Like even Damsels in Distress, which so very much has that central Greta Gerwig performance, it's still takes great effort to be um, you know, to focus on the ensemble in that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also before we move on, and I'm glad you mentioned the fact that this was based on the title of the, the novel was lady Susan, Chris, when he does a sort of teaser images on Twitter for the month ahead and, and you know, the listeners and the Twitter followers can guess at what kind of inscrutable connections these images have to whatever movies we're going to reveal are coming up soon really like above and beyond this month with this particular image uh, you put up an image of a lazy susan inside a cupboard and, <laughs> and i no was, one
1: got I, it no one got it so far as
0: i often do when you put up that post cuz i don't know what chris is doing until he does it and it goes up and i'm trying to play along and again i know the four movies that we have scheduled for this month. Like I have the answers right in front of me. And I'm, so I look at them and I'm like trying to make the connection. I'm like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. And that one, I admit took me a second. And once I did, I think I out loud was just like you maniac. Like that was <laughs> my favorite one in a while. Lazy Susan for lady Susan. Fantastic. All right.
1: And hopefully it. a listener will uh, guess it by the time the second clue comes out. Yes. Let's hope. Guys, we are here to talk about Love and Friendship, written and directed by Wit Stillman, again based on the novella Lady Susan by Jane Austen. Uh, the movie stars Kate Beckinsale, Chloe Sevigny, Xavier Samuel, the great Tom Bennett, Stephen Fry, Emma Greenwell, Morfitt Clark, James Fleet, and Gemma Redgrave, premiered at the 2016 Sundance Film Festival and then opened in limited release May 13th of that year. Yes. Mr. Joe Reed, are you prepared to give a 60 second plot description of love and friendship? I am. We'll see if it fits within the
0: 60 seconds,
1: but uh, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot that actually happens in this movie. Yeah. Uh, Alright, then your
0: 60-second plot description for love and friendship starts now. Lady Susan Vernon is a recent widow who's just been turned out of the Mannering estate and has attained the reputation of a tremendous flirt, an outrageous accusation because most people don't even know that she was sleeping with the married Lord Mannering. So instead, she goes to live with her in-laws, at Churchill, including her suspicious sister-in-law, Catherine de Courcy Vernon, and Catherine's hot and younger brother, Reginald. Susan's twofold mission, as she lays out to her American friend, Mrs. Johnson, is to marry off her excruciatingly dull daughter, Frederica, to a wealthy man and find a wealthy husband for herself. She sets her sights on Reginald de Courcy for herself, and for Frederica she's hoping for J- Sir James Martin, oh, who's right, the perfect Tenta. combination of wealthy and foolish. Lady Susan's designs on Reginald are opposed but briefly by pretty much everyone in his family who fears that the marriage between them will drag down the family's reputation. Meanwhile, Frederica doesn't think she wants to be married to the dunderheaded Sir James. Reginald seems determined to marry Lady Susan anyway, though that plan gets derailed when Lady Mannering comes boo-hooing to Mrs. Johnson's husband, her guardian, that Lady Susan is stripping her husband, and she a letter seconds. from Lady Susan to Mrs. Johnson that basically says, keep Reginald busy for me. I'm about to tap that Mannering ass and makes Reginald d- read it out loud and oh, what a mess. And yet, through sheer determination of the fact that the entire Courcy family is fact. mystifyingly fond of a young Frederica, Lady Susan manages to pull her feet out of the fire, manages Frederica off to Reginald, and decides to marry Sir James herself. Though, day after wedding, pregnancy, and the newly separated houseguest Lord Mannering seem to suggest that her days as a flirt are not long behind her the end. <laughs> you almost can't follow the shit in the
1: movie because it's so, like dialogue heavy and funny and everyone is so ridiculous that it ultimately doesn't matter but like I realized at as I finished rewatching this movie, it was like, oh, I am very grateful that I don't have to do a sixty second line description
0: of it. It's not even just what happens, is you have to set it all set up what happens with sort of the manners of the day and mm-hmm. the, you know, the the reason why Lady Susan has to do what she's doing and sort of has to scheme the way she's scheming. It's a and... lot of
1: characters that are maybe
0: only one
1: piece in the grander puzzle.
0: Right, Lord Mannering in particular, who says, I don't think a word, I don't think we get an actual word of dialogue out of Lord Mannering. He just sort of like shows up and we're supposed to connect the dots that he's this like incredibly alluring presence for Lady Susan. I think it's probably intentional that we in the audience don't understand the appeal of him quite so much. He's not unhandsome, but like in a movie with like other handsome people, it's just, I think it's, I think we're meant to. Sort of he shows up and we're just like, oh, like lady Susan's at it again <laughs> essentially <laughs> um but uh, just an endless parade, as I said in my notes of fantastic bits of dialogue I wrote down uh, the one she says about uh, um, Lord mannering she's talking about Lucy uh, uh, lady mannering who has essentially kicked Susan out of the house because Susan. Uh, was sleeping with her husband and Susan's talking to, again, Mrs. Johnson, Chloe uh, Chloe Sevigny, who's the only one she's fully honest with. She says if she were going to be uh, sorry, if she were going to be jealous, she should have never married such a charming man, which is just Lady Susan in a nutshell, which is just sort of placing the blame on everything else, sort of like blaming the people she has wronged for having been wronged, which, you know, (laughs) I love it. Um, I didn't even mention Missus Cross, who is who is sort of Lady Susan's uh, uh, employee that she doesn't pay. She mentions that she'll have her along to pack and unpack, and then we get the title card that says uh, Missus Cross uh, packing and unpacking. Um, as (laughs) an unpaid title cards are such genius,
1: and like even if they're just like his wife or something like that. the combination of Word choices to the performance being given by the actor is just yep. so funny.
0: Yep. Even down to the fact that, like, I don't know why it's funny that when um, Catherine Vernon is given the title card, Catherine Vernon, Nade de I find that, like, kind of delightful and, and, and perfectly sort of in line with everything else. It's just, it's that very... Wit Stillman kind of like mannered way. This is why he's like such a great fit for Jane Austen actually because he's his whole career has been made in these kind of patrician mannered environments and add to that sort of Jane Austen in this book of hers which was kind of known for being her most um Scathing mm-hmm. or or kind of mean and nasty, which again also fits the Witt Stillman thing because his characters are usually pretty unlikable if you judge them by this kind of uh, traditional rubric of you know likable and unlikable characters. I think one of the reasons why his movies are so great is because it kind of relieves the audience of the burden <laughs> of needing to like the characters quite so much, and you can just sort of like watch them operate on their own level. And you don't have to worry about who's going to come out on top because like nobody really deserves to exactly like Mm -hmm. the fact that last days of disco ends with Kate Beckinsale and Chris Eigeman's character sort of deciding that they've been right the whole time. And, (laughs) and, and they don't really suffer any consequences for that belief. And they're just sort of like going to go on, um, you know, being themselves. And then it ends with, you know, the sort of more sweet, little ending of is it it's quite chloe genuinely
1: and, one of my favorite movie endings um it's love train
0: right but it's chloe 70
1: and it's the Keesler character right it's the matt keisler character i believe i know it's at least chloe 70 because part of what's so interesting about that movie is like through that friendship you think that kate beckinsale is going to be the star of the movie but no it's ultimately chloe 70
0: Right, and in this one, in that one, they were very much sort of frenemies, and and Beckinsale's character was, you know, terribly mean to. I believe it's Alice. It's interesting that she was Alice in Last Days of Disco and Alicia in uh, in Love and Friendship. Um, I'm pretty sure she was Alice. Last Days of Disco, easily my favorite. Uh, Witt Stillman movie, although I do really love Love and Friendship.
1: Uh, um, easily my favorite Witt Stillman movie, but I will also say Love and Friendship is probably my favorite Jane Austen movie. And ah. I think it goes back to that thing you said that he's such a perfect fit for Jane Austen. I mean, I feel like this movie very much like the authorial voice feels just as much Jane Austen's as it does Witt Stillman's, which is so yes. uncommon for, you know, Jane Austen adaptations. Yeah. Um, in a way that's just like really kind of fresh and you know, feels I don't know. Jane Austen is sometimes one of those untouchable voices that is even like you wouldn't probably say that Joe Wright, Joe Wright, like kind of makes it makes Pride and Prejudice a little bit more like opened up and light, and, yeah. like kind of modern emotions to it, but like, yeah, there's still an approach that like feels like Jane Austen is a little untouchable and people have to go a certain Avenue. And this feels a little, it's still like beautiful costumes, etc. but it's a little off the rails of that in a way that feels exciting. Even well, though I've seen this movie half a dozen times.
0: I also love that uh, Jane Austen as an author has had her works adapted in so many different ways by so many really kind of distinct filmmakers right where it's yeah been, like you have to
1: have almost a complete like it's a version of this jane austen but it's like in modern day but it's not a direct adaptation
0: to have had uh uh her works being uh interpreted by um Lee slash emma Thompson and also Joe Wright, and also Witt Stillman, and then also like the Gwyneth Paltrow Emma, which was Douglas McGrath, I'm pretty sure, which felt like incredibly traditional, but also in that same year, or within a year, I think it was Clueless came, I think, the year before. Um, you know, Clueless, this sort of like very modern you know, liberties-taking adaptation by Amy Heckerling, and um, and then the the more recent Emma, and I'm going to forget that filmmaker's name and um I'm going to kick myself because I really liked that Emma Autumn de Um it's it's cool and I think it speaks well of the material. And now we're getting this uh, this summer we're getting Fire Island which is another sort of like
1: excited for this.
0: Um uh, interpretation of uh, Jane Austen's stuff. And so I love that kind of malleability and the fact that she lends herself so well to very distinct styles and, you know, filmmakers. Observations on communal behavior. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, Which makes her a perfect fit for Whit Stillman, especially sort of like communal behavior among a kind of specific set of people, which is usually uh, Blue Bloods and the strivers toward... Blue Bloods. His stuff was very much often um, the kind of prep school elite, and then the people who feel like they have to work hard to sort of travel in the circles with the prep school elite. Um, His biography is in no way surprising when you've seen (laughs) his movies. The fact that he was born to a uh, a a Philadelphia politician, mother and a father who was Assistant Secretary of Commerce under John F. Kennedy, and um, has also this sort of like lineage that includes you know, uh, captains of industry. His great-great-grandfather, Charles Stillman, founded the town of Brownsville, Texas. Which like, um uh, that kind of thing. And he went to all of the schools you would imagine he went to, including Harvard. And then upon graduation, like, he did the thing that, you know, if you've watched any of his movies and his characters, like, he worked at Doubleday for a while. He worked, you know... um for a like conservative uh newspaper and stuff like that, the American, he is a Republican uh, who does not like to talk about it. He does every no, he will block you on Twitter if you call him a Republican. He's he does not seem like somebody who would be very fun to know, which is probably not untrue of a lot of filmmakers that I love, actually. So, mm-hmm. um, he's definitely somebody who I don't need to, um sort of cozy up to as a personality which makes sense also given his movies if i can't imagine you'd watch more than one Witt stillman movie and be like you know who seems like a cool guy is probably wit stillman like (laughs) (laughs) probably not um but he makes these really fantastic movies uh metropolitan was the first in 1990 gets a screenplay nomination for that Um, I wonder if people back then thought this is the beginning of a career which will see many Oscar nominations for Witt Stillman Um, Uh and he kind of burrowed rather than expanding his horizons from that movie as a lot of sort of younger filmmakers do he sort of burrowed ever more deeply into it. Makes a whole sort of thematic trilogy that does kind of, I think certain characters do carry over if not actually in person than like they get mentioned, sort of like honestly, kind of like how Kevin Smith did it <laughs> with his first three movies. Um to, Except ma- better. to make a to make a very odd comparison. Um but Metropolitan in nineteen ninety, Barcelona in ninety four, which I've actually still never seen, which is kind of crazy for as much as I love uh all his I other don't movies. think it was super
1: available until
0: it Criterion wasn't. yeah put the trilogy out. Right. Uh, um I haven't seen
1: Barcelona either, but I've seen the rest.
0: I, we should uh, find a way to watch it when we're in Toronto or something like that. Um, yeah, I bet it's like 90 minutes like the rest of his movie. Yeah, that's the thing. is They're just like uh, uh, 101, actually. So it's a leisurely uh, with Stillman film. Um, a Witt Stillman epic. Yes. <laughs> then Last Days of Disco in 1988, which... Um, 1998. 19, sorry, 1998. Yeah. Um, which I always find so fascinating. We've already done an episode on 54, which was also 1998. And I still find it so incredibly entertaining that, I mean, it makes sense that those movies would have been talked about in tandem with each other because they were both the studio 54 movies of that year at a time when we were sort of having this kind of wave of nostalgia for studio 54. And yet like might as well exist in two different solar systems in terms of their sensibility their perspective on the time uh their mm-hmm. perspective on studio 54 as an entity um it's it's always entertaining for me to think about how essentially the culture was encouraging us to do a double feature of 54 and Last Days of Disco a double feature that i imagine would just like break your brain in you know several (laughs) different pieces.
1: Yeah I mean it couldn't be any more different but I mean you're right about the perspective that Last Days of Disco has on like the whole Studio 54 or Disco culture because it takes place at uh, as the title says at a very specific time when like that culture was ending. Yes. You know and it uses that as kind of a reflection of these post-college days before you become a real adult, you know? And, uh, you know, the fun times are kind of over, etc., blah, 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 blah. And, like, maybe some of those college friends you have actually suck and are holding you back.
0: Well, and also, Um, the fact that, and I kind of use this as my retort to, I mean, I'm never going to make the argument that, like, Wit Stillman's movies aren't incredibly cloistered, and you know, of their own sort of social strata. But I think something like *The Last Days of Disco* at least gives you the sense that he he knows that, and he doesn't sentimentalize that. So much of *The Last Days of Disco* is this era of sort of night clubbing and Studio Fifty Four and seventies freedom and whatnot is ending because now the Ivy League prep school kids have invaded the space. And Mm -hmm. it's incredibly conscious of that. Like a lot of people seem to think like that's sort of like an accident of that movie. And it's very much not like very much. The point of one of the points of the last days of disco is, you know, this is like the dying days of this sort of once vital, uh, uh, you know, way of life in in urban settings is because oh, if these people have now corrupted this space, you know we're in our dying days. And yeah, because it's not cool anymore right. if
1: those people are there. Right.
0: Exactly. What a great movie, though. Again, wildly it's quotable. It's with Stillman's masterpiece. It's great. It really is. I find it incredibly rewatchable. Um, again there's i guess you could say like chloe 70s character is like the likable one the one you sort of root for and yet like it really is just this collection of um you know mean and petty and striving and status seeking people and the dialogue is uh, brilliant just uh really well and as a companion piece to love and
1: friendship it's like, it was, you know, when it was announced for Sundance, you know, it was uh, announced as the reunion of these two stars and the director. And Chloe Sevigny's role in this is smaller, you yes. know, especially in maybe the first half of She's the movie. She's the and. With, she, uh, she is the with and. With Stephen Fry um,
0: and Chloe Sevigny, a fantastic with and. Ooh, we need more. Uh, we need more of that movie. Yeah. That with and. Yep. Um, uh,
1: it, it's interesting because, like, they're playing people who have the status already in this movie. And they have this very insular friendship and it's as mean and nasty as it can possibly be. Just like the friend that you can just like say whatever you want to. Yes. That's like hideous. But of course, because it's in the Jane Austen language to us, it's like funny and innocuous. Right. Um, It's the best, the best, Laugh line in this movie, which thank God when I saw this in the theater, I was alone, which sucks, <laughs> but I had probably the most uh inappropriately loud laughter I've ever had in a movie at the gout line. Oh my, which then... Because they're constantly praying, well, Lady Susan's husband is dead, so it's like, that's a relief on their friendship. Yes, But... Uh, Alicia's husband is keeping them apart because of Lady Susan's reputation and they have to kind of like meet in secret. Right. So they're constantly always throwing these lines of, well, maybe he'll die soon. <laughs> and it's the... it's their
0: last line in the film proper together. And then also the end credits of the film, when they're doing the credits, give each sort of main player a, a sort of cut line of dialogue uh, that we get to see, and the last one is uh, Kate Beckinsale's Lady Susan saying uh, to Alicia, uh, may his next gouty attack be a severe one, <laughs> which <laughs> is the note that the movie goes out on, which... <laughs> it, I screamed at
1: the top of my lungs at that line. It's one of the funniest things I've ever heard.
0: The one that I die at, sort of towards the end of the movie, is... Um, she's talking to reginald to xavier samuel and she's trying to impress upon him that, like, well, your father won't be around forever and and he keeps being like, "No, he's in pretty good health. I actually think for his age, like he's doing okay. And she, at one point just goes, "Ah, mortality. <laughs> like she's trying to sort of push this like incept him with this idea that, like, you know, um you know, your dad won't be around forever, and you will uh, soon inherit his fortune. And she's kind of like pressing pushing him at that point, I think, towards um marrying her daughter, but, uh, yeah, ah mortality, and she's. Just, uh insidious in that way she also says uh after she gets caught with the letter uh she's updating uh, she and mrs johnson are having their kind of uh catch-up uh about what happened and um and of course she's taking incredible umbrage that reginald would have read the letter because it was not addressed to him and that's such a social faux pas and i can't believe it and she's you know trying to you know brush off all responsibility and then mrs johnson goes well also though the footman like then basically said that you've been having this affair with lord mannering and she goes oh facts are horrid things (laughs) (laughs) which i want to use i want to keep using it what a great quotable movie
1: um, I mean the the lines are so funny, but it's also to Kate Beckinsale's credit that they are also perfect line reading. Oh too, my god, an absolute like understanding of what the tone is and should be to make this movie as funny as it can be, and I think it's her best performance. And as the kids would say, she was paid dust. But um, well, let's sort of... It's kind of shocking that there was so little attention paid to this because, like, I don't know, maybe if this was a bigger movie, it would be the kind of thing... Mm. I want to talk about Kate Beckinsale's yes. career. Yes, I do, because, too. Because, like, she's mostly an action star at this point of her career. And it's like, she's an action star and then has the Whit Stillman movies.
0: And Well, what's uh, funny was, she became an action star, and she's talked about this. One of the reasons why she was sort of uh, very eager to take those roles in the Underworld movies and sort of take that career sort of pivot into being an action star is she was worried about being too pegged as a costume drama actress, right? Where she's, we've Mm -hmm. done Much Ado About Nothing, which was one of her very first movies uh, in 1993. In 1995, she's in a movie um, directed by John Schlesinger called Cold Comfort Farm that I've never seen, but I've heard she's great in it um uh she's in that joanna lumley ian mckellen rufus sewell eileen atkins stephen fry miriam margulies like what a really fantastic cast i really should seek this movie out um and then she's in things like she does interesting the same year as gwyneth paltrow's emma is in movie theaters she does a bbc version of emma where she plays mm-hmm. the title character uh she's in last days of disco in 1998, which is a stylistic. That's her first American movie. She said it was the first time she ever had to learn an American accent. She's in broke down palace the next year. The movie that exists as a trailer uh, for me, <laughs> um, with that Sarah McLachlan sort of like mix song on it. Um, and, and Claire Danes screaming, I didn't do it. Uh, uh which is burned into my brain. um, But then, even still, she's still doing things like The Golden Bowl, which is the Merchant Ivory movie from 2000 that didn't really go anywhere. And uh, sort of tragically, she's in Pearl Harbor. She's the uh, sort of center of the love triangle. I know there are no centers to triangles, at least on the angles, but whatever. Math geeks, leave me alone. Um, uh, She's stuck in between Josh Hartnett and Ben Affleck in Pearl Harbor. And that movie was kind of widely derided even though it should have won she kept a part of both of them with her i was gonna say where she is, should have won diane warren her oscar for uh for there you'll be but alas um that same year she did serendipity did you ever see serendipity
1: which i love serendipity
0: really i've never seen it so you will go to bat for serendipity okay I mean, it's, a,
1: it's like, not a logical good movie, but I love that movie. Is she American like, in
0: that, or is she a Brit in in New York City? She's
1: Brit. Molly Shannon is her friend. Oh. Is it Molly Shannon? Yeah, it is. And it's, she buys a Prada bag, but it's fake, and it's Prado.
0: <laughs> I should see this movie. It's a very silly movie. Yeah, I should. I should check it out. That was a movie I, I remember as being a uh, right after 9-11 movie exactly uh that's sort of the the space it holds in my brain um 2002 she's in laurel canyon and it's kind of the part of that movie nobody ever talks about people talk about mcdormand and christian bale and alessandro nivola and beckinsale is the one who is dating christian bale and is kind of uh uh the target of francis mcdormand as his mother um mm-hmm. in this kind of uh i don't know if i would go so far as say psychosexual but like it's not not psychosexual um lisa Cholodenko wrote and directed that one and then right after Laurel canyon is when she does underworld which is directed by len wiseman who she would go on to marry in 2004 uh they just got divorced only a couple years ago um but Underworld is 2003, so they, I imagine, met and got together on Underworld. She does four Underworld movies, it's looking like. Um, well, it's only a cameo in Underworld Rise of the Lycans. I imagine that is a prequel. I don't really know I Underworld think. beyond... So bef- I've only- I I want to watch all the
1: Underworlds, because I think I've seen the first one, but I, if I have, I remember nothing about it.
0: I've definitely seen the first one. That might be the only one I've seen. Um, but... Uh also it's indistinguishable. There's the
1: I, at least from what I know about them. There's the one where there's snow on the poster. Yes, where the poster is snowing.
0: I could have probably The other thing about the Underworld movies is the first one at least co-stars um Michael Sheen who Kate Beckinsale was married to at that time. She sort of goes into Underworld married to Michael Sheen. And comes out of Underworld married to Len Wiseman, which um, Hollywood is a fabulous place. Um, yeah, I've only ever seen the first one. I am, remember Bill Nye's character death in that one pretty vividly, but that's kind of the only thing. I also like was very, very hot for Scott Speedman at the time, so um, that was also... A consideration for me. I feel like. Did you watch at Sundance the Lena Dunham movie Sharp Stick?
1: Yes, I did. Scott Speedman in that movie, man, <laughs> is so like uh, the movie. You know, whatever. There's defenders. There's people who hate it. Whatever. Yeah, but I didn't. Scott Speedman. I will go to bat for Scott Speedman in that movie.
0: uh movie. Somebody do a movie where Scott Speedman's character from that movie and Simon Rex from Red Rocket. Um encounter each other and are perhaps rivals or something um i am team scott speedman oh wow
1: what a nice man that character that he plays
0: oh yeah like he's definitely like a much nicer person than uh than the horrendous character that simon rex plays in uh, in red rocket that's for sure um but anyway back to kate beckinsale so underworld kind of then puts her into a different category she also does van helsing in 2004 which is a oh, tremendous boy. flop and uh kind of wi- widely reviled and so by the time then she's doing that she's also in the same year as van helsing she's in the aviator and i remember by that time it was like who is this unworthy like actress from underworld who's gonna date yeah, d- dare to play ava shit. gardner and it's like and it's she's an odd fit for Ava Gardner, if you've seen Ava Gardner in anything, actually. Um, sort of temperamentally. But it's not like she's an unworthy actress. She had been so, you know, good in these other things, and people. I think once sort of Underworld and Van Helsing happened, this cultural memory of anything she might have done before that was sort of wiped clean. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, she caught a lot of shit for that. Um other than the Underworld movies from there, she's it seems she's the love interest to Adam Sandler and click he plays his wife in that a movie I've not seen, but I know is it Oscar. Is it winner
1: nominee nominee I think. for makeup? I don't think it won that
0: makeup category. No, it did. It, it it just uh, was nominated. It lost to uh pan's labyrinth, which makes all the sense in the world. Um, it's just odd to imagine even those two in the same category. One movie she did that I saw in theaters that I can't imagine too many people remember is the David Gordon Green movie, snow angels. Like even among David Gordon Green forgotten movies, this one's pretty forgotten. Um, is she good in it? Yeah. I mean, I don't remember a ton about the movie. It doesn't make a ton of uh, impression on me. It's her Sam Rockwell, Michael ongarano Um, I remember liking Michael ongarano in it quite a bit. Um, I believe it is a movie about a uh, grieving parent. Something sounds like uh, that era of David Gordon Green for sure. Yeah, it was a Sundance movie. Uh, big surprise. That same year, she does that horror movie, Vacancy, with Luke Wilson. That is, I watched it a few years ago during one of my like one scary movie a day Halloween things. Mm-hmm. Uh, not very good. Not very memorable. She gets some awards. Yeah, I
1: remember it being not identity at that time. Yeah, because it was like hotel horror,
0: right? But it's also, I believe, it's kind of also uh, torture porn adjacent a little bit. Interesting. Um, it's 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 unpleasant. I will say, even among uh, horror movies. Um, two thousand eight. When does nothing but the truth. Two thousand eight. So that's the next year after vacancy. Okay. Um, gets a little bit of. Uh, awards buzz for that. This was the Valerie Plame movie before um what's the Doug Lyman one? Fair game. Fair game,
1: which came And this is the one that was more fictionalized than Fair Game was. Like she's not playing scare quotes Valerie Plame, but she's playing Valerie. Plame.
0: Right. Uh directed by Rod Lurie, who had directed uh The Contender. And it's her Matt Dillon is in this movie. Vera Farmiga, I remember, who was uh, one of them was Judy Miller, and one of them was Valerie Plame, and I can't remember which was which. Beckinsale was playing the reporter, right? And Vera Farmiga was playing the spy. That I believe is what it actually is, and they were both Critics' Choice nominated for it. Fascinating.
1: Yeah, they were. I believe Vera Farmiga also was. Beckinsale definitely was. Yeah, but it that kind of died quickly because even during that season no one saw that movie. Right, right. Um and that best extra, best actress season is pretty locked down early except for maybe that fifth spot which quickly wraps up anyway to be Helen Mirren.
0: Oh, that was uh 2009. Am I thinking the wrong year? No, I believe it was a 2008 movie, although it might have not uh it might have been a weird release uh, release date Oh, like thing. it
1: was released in
0: oh nine? Maybe. Give me a second. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, tumble down this. Uh, yeah, it was, it was 2008. So, uh, at that Critics Choice, that was the year that Hathaway for Rachel getting married and Meryl Streep for Doubt tied. Damn, I thought of the wrong year. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but that year also, like, there was a lot. Like, that was Streep for Doubt. Winslet had her two movies that she was sort of a little bit in flux for. Um, Angelina Jolie for Changeling, Melissa Leo for Frozen River. Um, Kate Blanchett was nominated at Critics' Choice that year for Benjamin Button, and she never really even was able to crack that lineup too successfully. Like, she was definitely seen as very much an outsider, even though she was in the nomination leader, you know, uh, the movie that year, Benjamin Button. So, well, and for this year, I guess what it
1: is is that a small movie that few people had seen. There was a real like rallying mission around Melissa Leo and Frozen River, and like Frozen River came really ahead with that because, yeah, I would imagine it in a best picture 10, it would have been nominated.
0: Yes, I agree. Yes, I agree with that. I don't think Changeling would have, but yes, Frozen River, I think, would have. Um, it's wild to me that in two consecutive years, Meryl Streep tied for the Critics' Choice Best Actress Prize that she tied Hathaway in 08 and then famously uh, tied Sandra Bullock in 09. Uh, That was when uh, Sandra Bullock planted one on her uh, on stage when they accepted Famously. Her lover, Meryl Streep.
1: Okay, this critic's choice, though, I don't remember Meryl and Anne Hathaway accepting together. Was one of them
0: not there? It's very possible. I don't remember that acceptance at all. Critics' Choice Best Actress has tied three times in its existence, and they've only been around since 1995. Which, I know you can't engineer a tie, but, like, it seems very Critics' Choice, mealy-mouthy, we want to, like, increase our odds to be uh, right. To be these right, these awards
1: are not chosen by people in a closed room, it's everybody filling right. out their ballots. Right,
0: right, and yet, like, just by accident, it seems like the most Critics' Choicey thing. To be like, oh, we don't know if Glenn Close or Lady Gaga's gonna win the Oscar, so we'll just give it to both of them. Like, that kind of a thing. Um, uh, that was the, that was the other tie going close and Lady Gaga. Um, but anyway, yeah, nothing but the truth, a movie that nobody really thinks about nowadays is even with regard to, you know, Kate Beckinsale, the Poptimists like we are, um, without looking it up, I'd question
1: how available it is. It's probably rentable because most things are, Yeah. sometimes you'll be surprised, yeah.
0: um, and then she just ends up doing, like, a lot of movies that uh, you don't really remember very much. She does a movie, a Dominic Senna movie called Whiteout in 2009. She does another movie with Sam Rockwell and also De Niro and Drew Barrymore called Everybody's Fine. That
1: Oh, yeah, the Christmas movie. Yes.
0: Um a Mark Wahlberg movie called Contraband in 2012, another underworld. She's the, uh, she's the uh, lead female in the total recall remake. Like just like choices, you know what I mean? Um, kind of a bunch of unfortunate choices. She's in a Karen Moncrief movie called the trials of Kate McCall. She's in a Michael Winterbottom movie called the face of an angel. Uh, what else? What else? Uh, a Terry Jones movie called Absolutely Anything with uh, Simon Pegg. Like, just like a whole lot of stuff that just doesn't, again, I'm trying to get away from saying doesn't exist, but like just a lot of stuff that doesn't exist anymore um, or exists like Total Recall does sort of infamously. And so that's where her career was going into love and friendship. And I remember feeling like a palpable sense of relief that it was going to be a last days of disco reunion because that stood as this like shining beacon to me of Kate Beckinsale in my life. And I was just like, yes, finally, like, you know, so I had a lot of uh, expectation for her performance in this movie and she lives, up d- mm-hmm. she lives up to it tremendously. Well, I, I mean,
1: it's, even though it's not my winner, I still think this is like a note perfect performance. absolutely. Um, and like, uh, uh at a comedy register that we don't see very often and that's incredibly difficult to pull off and yet she feels perfectly cast so i don't know it just feels like this thing this performance that you know i don't know it felt like at the time it felt like people saw this movie and for whatever reason didn't think it was worthy of mentioning even though i can't remember anybody who didn't enjoy this movie. Um, yeah, if
0: you saw it, I think you you ended up really, really liking it. It was incredibly well reviewed. It was also in, and like, you know, they did not do Amazon did not do enough of a campaign for this. Amazon put it wasn't one of their priorities. All of it. No. This like, is only
1: the second year that Amazon Studios was releasing.
0: And it was too. the Manchester by the Sea year. So, like, they had mm-hmm. their contender. And they, again, smartly, we talk about, you know, studios sort of making smart calls, and sometimes it leaves movies that we love out in the cold. And it's often, you know, that was the right call to go, like, Manchester by the Sea was the was the one that was going to succeed. And it's too bad that uh, that a great movie like Love and Friendship doesn't get as much of a push. Um, that's also a very... Even for, like,
1: costumes, why wasn't it nominated, right, you know? Right, right
0: um it again felt like a kind of fledgling a, a, a studio tr- figuring out how to do awards and to date it's the only year they ever did any good at it so um they did not take the, the lessons that they learned from their early success but uh, we've talked about that plenty it's a very very strong best actress year 2016 to the point where i was by this point doing blankies at uh at blank check and i remember And I've regretted it since. Like, I didn't... Kate Beckinsale didn't make my five for Actress that year. And I wish that she had. I ultimately uh, included Rebecca Hall for Christine in my fifth slot there, which I like... That's a great performance. Good choice. It's a really good choice. And the other... Like, I wasn't going to not include Annette Bening for 20th Century Women or Amy Adams for Arrival. And then, like, there was Viola Davis for Fences, who I bumped up to lead because she was not a supporting actress in that movie. And... Natalie Portman and Jackie, who I still think is an incredibly uh, impressive performance. Now, I'd probably include Beckinsale and maybe risk just sort of bumping either Natalie Portman or Viola Davis from there. Just because I like to tinker with my lists. (laughs) You know, but like... It's th- at the time I was
1: very much like, why isn't Viola Davis being campaigned in lead? She would still win in lead. And like, while I think it's true she still would have won in lead, Do you? I'm I'm maybe a little bit more okay with it being in
0: support. I I think, and I think the worry was not entirely unfounded that um there was such strong momentum for Emma Stone by that point. Because Fences comes out late that season. And La La Land had been building buzz ever since the, like, Telluride, I believe, right? Or Venice, or, like, very early fall festivals. Um, Yes. And I think, ultimately, they saw a clearer path in supporting actress. But also, I remember thinking the absolute horrid optics, especially the year after Oscars So White, of Emma Stone beating out her The Help co-star in Best Actress, I was like... I That is a hurricane of bad optics that I was glad got avoided um, entirely. And I still don't, I think if those two would have been
1: facing off, it would have been. I mean, maybe it's because Emma Stone had more competition, but I think Viola Davis still would have won.
0: It's possible. It's possible. I don't. I. I don't know if I. I can go with you there. But like. Like again, we talk about the competition that year. That was Isabel Huppert in L. That was um, Ruth Nega in Loving. That was. I mean, obviously, you know, we talk about Streep getting the nomination for Florence Foster Jenkins, which uh, none of us feel like Bleh. should have happened. But like Susan Sarandon in The Meddlers that year. Um, uh, who else? Haley Steinfeld in *Edge of 17 Just in terms of like not stuff that was going to get Oscar nominated, but just like the strength of performances in that category that year was. Amy
1: Adams is the famous snubby. At, shocker, non-nominee. Yeah,
0: and that bending as well. Although I think we all sort of saw that snub coming by the time it happened. Right, but we did. Um, no less painful because that was I thought that was my winner that year, uh, for sure. Mine as well. Um. But a great, a great, uh, a great lineup that year of contenders. And again, I do wish I had sort of stuck to my guns. Kate Beckinsale was again a late kind of bump down when I did blankies that year, and I should have kept her. I think
1: even for people like us, it's kind of a brutal year where it's like you know we're gunning for faves who probably don't have a chance, like Kate Beckinsale. Yep. But like, twenty sixteen is like. Just a, a font of great leading actress performances. This is where I sound like I'm, uh, you know, just going against the grain uh, uh, for its own sake. But I do genuinely feel stronger feelings about Isabelle Pair in Things to Come. Right. Versus Elle. I love Sandra Huller in Tony Airdman. Right. I love Kim Minhee in the
0: Handmaiden. Yep. uh both Emma Suarez and uh Adriana Ugarte in in Julieta also oh. fantastic Oh my god yeah. um
1: and then it's like that Amy Adams performance like I also a note perfect performance and like the movie works because her performance is so
0: good like Arrival we're talking about yeah. What did I say? No, you, you I just I'm oh, okay. orienting myself. Yes. Um yeah, no, fantastic year. And the other thing is, the other year that I have Beck and Sale sort of in my lineup is for last days of Disco in ninety eight, which is another just wildly incredibly competitive and great year uh, for supporting actress that year. So that's the year if for if you're listening to orient yourself, that was the year that Judy Dench wins for Shakespeare in Love um her primary competition no pun intended that year was kathy bates for primary colors um but like lynn redgrave had won the golden globe for gods and monsters that year and uh who else was nominated rachel griffiths for hillary and jackie and brenda Blethyn for little voice my own list is populated by the likes of well kathy bates is on my list because i love kathy bates and primary colors i think she's phenomenal <laughs> um Joan Allen and Pleasantville was that year. It's kind of why it's still wild to me because Joan Allen was in the midst of her hot streak at that point mm-hmm. and yet didn't get uh, nominated for Pleasantville. Lisa Kudrow got a bunch of like, uh, indie attention for her performance in the opposite of sex. Uh, Tony Collette, Tony Collette is phenomenally good in velvet Goldmine, And, uh, that movie was never really considered for anything more than it's crafts, which is too bad because like she, she's the quintessential, um, takes a long drag from your cigarette. I haven't heard that name in 50 years. <laughs> like that's <laughs> what I think of when I, when, uh, somebody makes that joke. Like that's, uh, uh, that's who I see. Patricia Clarkson in high art was a, if she didn't win the indie spirit, like she was at least nominated for the indie spirit that year. um, Laura Linney and the Truman shows that year, but like Beckinsale, I think is right up there in that in the top echelon of that for Last Days with Disco. I think she's just truly incredible in that one. So she tends to sort of be great in years where like it's an uncommonly insanely great year for competition, and she's never really like I think when we speak objectively, she's never come close. I can't imagine she's made the top ten uh, in any in any voting year, and yet worthy at least twice as far as i'm concerned i mean 2016
1: it's it it goes beyond even i think her even though again i think she's perfect in this movie but like with stillman's already an oscar nominee so why wasn't there more yeah. pushed for like adapted screenplay because i do think this isn't a great adaptation for the reasons i said That it feels equally yeah. austin and stillman yeah um i do just genuinely not that it should have beaten moonlight or anything
0: but no like,
1: it it would have made sense in those moments.
0: I think if they were with a distributor who had more experience. I genuinely feel like it was like Amazon was still getting its sea legs and didn't mm-hmm. really want to risk trying for too many movies when, you know, Manchester by the Sea was a a Sundance movie. So like they had a whole year to to ramp that up and um that to me feels it it makes sense to me. That they, you know, would be so tunnel-visioned. And yet, if Love and Friendship is a focus movie, you know what I mean? If Love and Friendship Mm -hmm. is a Sony Classics movie, um, maybe maybe better luck. Who knows?
1: And Amazon also had, like, a rough summer. Like, the movie they release after this is The Neon Demon. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let me read... Love and Friendship came out in May. I'm gonna read their like summer lineup to you. Okay. Neon Demon. Yeah. Todd Weenie Wiener. Sure. Talk, Cafe Society, the like last Woody Allen movie that like we as a culture allowed to really actually happen. I will also so say Blake Lively is genius in that
0: movie. Cafe Society comes in the midst of like a handful of like really bad late stage Woody Allen movies. Cafe society is the one I kind of like that. Like, I thought it was kind
1: of lame. I would understand. I mean, like when Blake Lively shows up and is doing kind of almost a with Stillman character and <laughs> that like, she's not playing the laugh, right. but she's incredibly funny. Yeah.
0: Um, Like, it's certainly, like, in an an era that was populated with, like, your magic in the moonlights, and To Roam With Love, and Wonder Wheel, and whatever, like, to me, Cafe Society still sort of stands out as um, better than those other ones.
1: They also had the delayed release of The Dressmaker, which, like, Uh, felt like got shoved under the rug, and I kind of want to... We've done so many Winslets in the past year, but I do kind of want to do that movie to get like a resurgence yep. in any way we can to uh, lead the path on people yeah. reassessing that very fun movie.
0: Still have never seen it. Um, will, oh, I think you're going to have a time. Will when we, uh, when we eventually do it, but uh, yeah. Yeah. That's a chaotic summer. That's uh you know, how did you spend your summer vacation with uh, some of the weirdest movies we could possibly have, uh, have released? Yeah. Uh, this is also a movie that
1: got nominated at the Gothams for screenplay and actress. I feel like we never really talk about the Gothams. No, we don't. I like the Gothams quite a bit because it's so early in the season and it feels like, you know, pure optimism.
0: It does. Um, yeah, I the, the Gothams are fine. The Gothams are doing their thing. Um... Oh, let's talk about Tom Bennett a little bit before we
1: move on to the IMDb game. Yes. Because... Yes also shocking to me that he got no traction like the biggest nomination he got was with the online film critics which is like a larger organization i'm in it um
0: he's so good he's just tremendously good and i i believe that same year he was in um the Christopher Guest movie that nobody likes, uh Mascots. Mascots. Terrible. I think he's great in that though. I think he's incredibly funny. He's um again playing a kind of a lovable doofus in that imagine a lovable doofus in a uh in a Christopher Guest movie. I thought he and Parker Posey are kind of the standouts in that movie. That one I saw at Toronto, uh, and and the boy talk about a quiet a toronto debut yeah
1: i was gonna ask
0: what was that like in the room it was a ryerson premiere <laughs> not even just a ryerson screening a ryerson premiere so um which is kind of a you know the, the big ones don't premiere at ryerson so um it was kind of subdued i thought in the moment you know even bad Christopher Guest to me is pretty good. Like I don't. I think I probably liked it a little bit more than I liked uh, for your consideration, actually. But I wonder if it's because my expectations for those were so different. Uh, my expectations for for your consideration were so high, and my expe- mm-hmm. expectations for mascots were were very much not. And um, yeah, I just remember loving Tom Bennett and and Parker Posey in it. That's pretty much it.
1: Tom Bennett in this movie was really just, like, one of those performances from someone you would never seen before. And they show up in this movie with this fully formed genius... Yep performance where it's like everything they do is so smart and you're like who is this person and i don't think i've seen him in anything since mascots he's mostly a theater actor
0: and he's done a bunch of like tv here and there he did uh 13 episodes of ap bio a show that i have heard good things about but i never watched so Um, have i i haven't watched it either uh he did a mini series called resistance
1: yeah Sto- he's the most excited shih tzu in this movie. <laughs> he yeah. is, the scene with the peas is so funny. Oh my god,
0: he's so fascinated by Tiny the peas. Tiny green balls, how delightful. <laughs> Somewhat sweet. Oh my god, what a great performance. So funny. His too, Um, now I want to see where, because I definitely, he was definitely one of my nominees that year. Oh, I, he was definitely one of mine. I had him. Obviously, I was uh, just enamored of Alden Ehrenreich and Hal Caesar, one of the great uh, comedic performances. Um, I would guarantee you that my ballot is probably Tom Bennett, Alden
1: Ehrenreich, and then flip a coin and fill the rest with Moonlight.
0: I mean, that's the actors. thing. My thing that year was I put in Andre Holland. Uh, ahead of uh, Mahershal Ali that year. That was how I sort of mm-hmm. uh, assess, uh, asserted my independence. Um, I did love Lukey Hedges. I was in early on Lukey Hedges, uh, uh, mostly because I remembered him from the slap and I, he was like the one person <laughs> I really liked in the slap. Um, but like, Rafe Fines in a bigger splash is that year. Like, what a great performance that That's was. That's a leading performance. Um, uh, to me. To me, no. I put I put him in lead. Well, I didn't. Um, let's see. John Goodman in 10 Cloverfield Lane is that year. Uh, I mean, our friend Simon Helberg in Florence Foster Jenkins, who got some precursor attention. Golden Globe nominated
1: Simon Helberg. Uh,
0: where was that nomination for Annette this year, people? He was so incredibly worthy in Annette. Um, anyway, anyway, anyway.
1: Um, If I'm going to stand by one of the supporting actors in Moonlight that I think we didn't stand by enough at the time that I feel like history is not going to be as kind to that because I think it's, in retrospect, one of the best, if not maybe the best performance of the movie, is Ashton Sanders.
0: Well, I mean, yes, I agree. And yet also, I think, understandably awards didn't know what to do with any one of the chiron portrayers you have three performers playing him in different stages of the movie does that mean i mean we had this problem also with like dev patel in lion the good thing was that dev patel was a known quantity so that helped him there but like what is you know what counts as a lead performance versus supporting performance, whether when you are splitting up a role in, in three parts like that. Um, but yeah, Ashton Sanders is phenomenal in that movie. I mean, pick a bad performance in Moonlight, like I dare you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's you just, can't. You really can't. I mean, this was, you know, how much do you reward Janelle Monae for like two phenomenal scenes of, you know, work in that movie? Like it's just uh, screen time and, you know, size of role versus campaign i think that's why it sort of defaulted to um mahershala ali because he's just while his character is in that film he looms so incredibly large and Mm -hmm. um and he's great in
1: that chapter of the movie he's the shared lead of that right right
0: exactly exactly um I mean, Moonlight, good movie. I don't know if uh, if anybody's <laughs> ready to accept that, but I'm just going to sing it.
1: All right, what Anything else? Anything else about love and friendship before we move on to the IMDb?
0: Let me, let me peruse. Um, the, speaking of Tom Bennett, the bit where he believes wholeheartedly that there are 12 commandments and... <laughs> When when he's told that there are only ten, he then jumps to, oh, we're just getting rid of two of them. I wonder which ones we can lop off. This
1: is me earlier in this episode with the certainty of what best actress year we were talking about, <laughs> and I was entirely wrong. Um, I'm telling you, he's a very relatable character. Uh,
0: incredibly, incredibly relatable character. Uh, opening credits, I loved. Uh, I mentioned Kate Beckinsale and Emma. Facts are hard things. Yeah, um... Yeah, we also wish that uh, Stephen Fry's character's next Gaudi attack be uh, be his A last one. one. Yeah. Yeah, great movie. Loved it. Very funny. Oh. Hi- and again, it's on Am- if you got Amazon Prime, it's right there for you. You don't got to rent it. It's, you know, it's there for your uh, enjoyment and I highly recommend it for 90 minutes of your day. You won't regret it. Yep.
1: All right, would you like to explain to our lovely listeners what the IMDb game is?
0: Yeah, I think I will. Why not? Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress and try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles' release years as a clue. And if that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints.
1: Hooray, that's the IMDb game. Would you like to give a guess first? I'll give first.
0: So... Mine, um, I kind of chose a little bit deliberately, and this one is going to be very difficult for you to get without like a whole lot of hints, and maybe not even then, but I think it's going to be fun to talk about anyway. So I'm going to sort of hang you out to dry for the purposes of a good conversation. Um, (laughs) I uh, went into, uh, we mentioned Kate Beckinsale uh, played Ava Gardner in the Martin Scorsese movie The Aviator, Uh, that film... Garnered three acting nominations. Cape uh, Blanchett won for uh, playing Catherine Hepburn. DiCaprio uh, was nominated for playing Howard Hughes. And then the surprise nomination came for one Mr. Alan Alda. One television performance on Alan Alda. Which Alda's is novel. MASH. Which is MASH, correct. Yeah. Uh, is the Aviator in there? It is not. Damn.
1: Um, okay. Uh, interesting no more television I would have thought that his Oscar nomination was in there which like people treated like it was a surprise but if you were paying attention he got BAFTA nominated right
0: yeah there was I remember one precursor towards the end there that was a little bit of a canary in a coal mine right and he was showing up later um, yeah
1: trying to think uh, take your pick of a bunch of Woody Allen movies. Uh, did you ever see Betsy's Wedding? He's the dad in Betsy's Wedding. I've never Bet- seen.
0: Um, well, Betsy's Wedding is one of those movies that used to be on TV a lot, so I think I've probably seen some of it on television, but never the whole thing.
1: Well, and it's semi reviled too. But like, it was treasured in my household probably because we are unwell people. Who was
0: Betsy uh, in Betsy's Wedding?
1: Um, uh, Molly Ringwald. Ah, there we go. Okay, so Alan Alda. I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna just guess one of the Woody Allens. Is it Everybody Says I Love You?
0: It is not Everybody Says I Love You. All right, so two strikes. Your missing years are 1981, 1989, and 2019. 89 is uh, Crimes and Misdemeanors. Correct. Crimes and Misdemeanors was interesting in that I I feel like, and again. I don't have experiential memory of it, but I remember that like Alda got some of the precursors, and then Landau sort of swoops in and gets the Oscar nomination for it. Right. Yeah. Um, 2019
1: and what? 81. Okay, I don't. 81
0: uh, is uh... the one I don't think you're going to get. So I would probably 81
1: is as Mash is wrapping up. Yes. 2019, I think I'm going to get fast sure it's marriage story it
0: is marriage story he's so funny in marriage story i they show up at his weird
1: office or apartment or something and there's like what's going on in that scene isn't there like something in a kitchen maybe that's it's like who is this woman
0: that's it's, one of it's... those performances where if they would have gone for sort of aviator style like a late breaking uh, push for him to get nominated for this sort of very small role. I would have been all for it. I think he's incredibly funny. He did get a little bit of buzz for a while when that movie first started screening Yeah, because people he's in
1: enough scenes of the movie and he's, but no, that scene I'm talking about it. Just like, it's funny because like you're because of the environment you're in, it informs how screwed the main character yep. is with this guy. Um, I've,
0: isn't that no, the if one? If there's any
1: small performance in Marriage Story or too small for an Oscar nomination performance that needs a nomination, it's Mara Weaver.
0: Well, I mean, I, I'm not going to argue with either one of them. I think they're both uh, phenomenal in that movie. What a great cast. All right. Your missing year is 1981. Again, this one is uh, maybe not something you've heard of, although the cast is really interesting. I will give you. The hint that it's one of the films that he wrote and directed himself. Oh. He stars in it. He wrote and directed. How many movies did he direct Uh, in general? Like, it's more than you think, I feel like. Um, hmm. No, actually... I'm wrong. He only directed, he directed Betsy's Wedding. He directed, um, oh, I don't even know that. Four feature films, and this was the first of them.
1: Okay. Uh it's him. I don't think I know of anything he directed, though.
0: He directed so Betsy's Wedding. Um, hold on, let me get back to that list. Betsy's Wedding, uh Sweet Liberty in 1986, a movie called A New Life in 1988, which is him and Anne Margaret uh among other people um and then this was the first one it's him and it's uh carol burnett on oh wow the poster um I genuinely don't know what this is, but maybe I need to watch this? The logline is, I'll give you the title in a second. The logline is, three couples vacation together every season. After one divorces, feelings of betrayal and more spawn criticisms of each other, but the things that keep them together are stronger than those which might otherwise pull them apart. So This isn't
1: couples retreat?
0: It's not. It's probably the good version of it. It's called Four Seasons, so I want to tell you who the three couples are. The first couple is Alan Alda and Carol Burnett. They're the ones who are on the poster. There you go um second couple is len carew and sandy dennis perfect and then the third couple which is the reason why i've pulled this uh is rita moreno and jack weston who were both in uh the ritz that i watched the other night for the first time which is the film adaptation you were having Um, a time i have you ever seen that movie no, highly recommended. Um, uh, based on the Terrence McNally play that Rita Moreno won rest. the Tony Award for, um, it's so the Ritz is I want to say 1976, and it's directed by um, the guy who directed uh like Superman two, what's his name, Richard Lester, and so it's and again based on a Terrence McNally play, it's this farce where um jack weston plays this hold on let me bring up the imdb because i want to get all the names of everybody right um plays this uh guy whose father-in-law has just died and he is about to inherit the uh i think it's like sanitation business or something like that like trucking business something some sort of like family business um and Jerry Stiller plays his brother-in-law who wants to essentially uh, kind of get rid of him. And it's either like knock him off or, in this case, uh, discredit him. And so... Uh Jack Weston thinks he's going to get uh, he's going to get killed. And so he's fleeing and he flees to he tells the cab driver, take me to a place that nobody would ever think to look for me. And he drops him off at this bathhouse in, again, 1970s New York City. And he sort of enters this kind of, you know, world that he never knew existed out there in this like big, elaborate bathhouse. Uh, F. Murray Abraham plays this incredibly sort of, you know, uh, uh, fabulous and forthright and, and, and uh horny uh uh, bathhouse denizen and rita moreno plays essentially like the in-house entertainment googie gomez who is this like just hugely over the top uh big you know ambitions she has this like long-standing grudge against this producer who she keeps talking about who always fired her from things she thinks jack weston is a producer who can help get her a job other people think jack weston is just like a gay guy who is in the bathhouse treat williams plays uh you think he's an assassin but he's really there to like get the dirt on Jack Weston and he has this like permanent mickey mouse falsetto voice and like he's in a tiny towel the whole time efremery abraham is in a tiny towel the whole time the whole thing is this just like wild incredible farce and it's not pc by today's standards but it's also not like wildly you know uh offensive in any way or whatever and it's just this very kind of again pre-AIDS era New York bathhouse movie that is in equal parts sort of silly and horny and it's a absolute goddamn delight and I will be watching it uh, as soon as possible highly recommended absolutely highly recommended um but anyway those two uh Rita Moreno and and Jack Weston were the third couple in this movie four seasons that is the fourth Alan Alda IMDb movie so thank you for taking that journey with me
1: I love going on a journey with you, especially if it's going to bring me to this wonderful movie. Listen, you had me at Terrence McNally. Yes. You had me at Rita Moreno. You really had me at Tiny Towels.
0: I, I was watching a clip of her. She was doing an interview, like, maybe in the, like, early 2000s or whatever. And she was talking about this role that she won the Tony for. And she said that Terrence McNally put it in the play after seeing her sort of, like, playing this character sort of like spinning this character from nothing at a party at James Coco's house that she was just sort of like, okay. they're hanging out and Terrence McNally's there at James Coco's house. And she's singing um, the thing that makes it into the movie. She's singing um, uh, everything's coming up roses and this very heavy sort of Puerto Rican accent. Um, if you know, if you imagine her uh, character, uh, her Cuban American character from one day at a time, she's doing sort of like similar sort of uh accent work in this but it is just like again she's a 15 out of 10 and it's everything i've ever wanted it's so funny wonderful
1: yes well for you i just want to loop back to your earlier uh question of which one are we love and friendship (laughs) clearly between our imdb game choices I am love and friendship, and you are hate and misfortune. (laughs) Um, Because for you, I went back into the Witt Stillman filmography of his past uh, performers, and I have given you a gift just for you. Uh, I'm giving you Greta Gerwig. Oh,
0: have we never done Greta Gerwig?
1: We haven't. uh, And one of the credits is listed as a writing credit. The other are all listed as starring.
0: A writing credit in something she's not in? You're not going to say. All right. I'm not going to answer that question. I I feel like if it was for something that she wasn't in, like Ladybird or Little Women, it would be a directing credit and not just the writing credit. So I'm going to imagine that the writing credit is for one of her... Noah Baumbach collabs. I'm going to guess Francis Ha. But
1: you would think that those would be for a writing credit and not the starring
0: credit? Well, I I mean, you know, Six of One Half doesn't have another, I guess. Either way, I'm going to guess Francis Ha is one of them. Francis Ha is correct. It is not the writing credit. Interesting. Well, all right. So, put a pin in that. Um Now I imagine... God, is it going to be something totally unhinged, like Arthur or something? Um, I doubt it'll be something cool like House of the Devil. Uh, Alright, I'm going to... I'm going to take a flyer then on Lady Bird. Lady Bird is the writing credit. It's the writing credit. credit. That's so weird that it would be writing and not directing.
1: It's definitely an SEO thing, because like the awards tab probably gives it a boost because she definitely won more writing prizes than directing prizes for that okay
0: all right again though you you, think. you constantly try and, and logic the algorithm and i think the algorithm exists to resist your logic but i hear you um all right mistress america mistress america is correct <sighs> all right are I deserve to go four for four. On Greta Gerwig. I deserve to go four for four on Greta Gerwig and yet all right. So Little Women is out then if there's uh uh no other writing or non acting credits. So Alright. Greenberg. Greenberg
1: is correct. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Congrats on your perfect score. I wanted you to get Of
0: all the perfect scores to get, this is the one that I wanted the most. So, I'm very happy.
1: You know what we're not talking enough about? What? Um, aside from the fact that Barbie is somehow filming right now. and right. It is going to be real. Um, we're getting the first Greta Gerwig performance, like acting performance, in years. Yeah. Because she's in the new Noah Baumbach. She's movie. in White Noise, yes.
0: I've not read the novel. I'm not a Don DeLillo uh, person, so I don't know what I to expect. I have read the novel. Are you excited to see it? I
1: mean, I, I'm I'm curious of how close of an adaptation it's going to be, uh-huh. but um, sure, I'm always excited for a Noah Baumbach movie.
0: Yeah, I mean, lots coming out this year. I don't know what to expect from this one. Um... It's, it's, it's maybe one of the, the handful of movies that uh, I have the most variance in terms of expectation, just because I have no idea,
1: uh,
0: yeah. uh, having not read the novel. But um, yeah, really exciting.
1: All right. And that is our episode. If you want more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow us on Twitter at Had Oscar Buzz. Once again, we will be talking about the May mini series this week on the on our Twitter account. So be sure to follow us there. Joe, where can our listeners find more of you?
0: Sure. I am on Twitter and letterboxed both. Uh, Joe Reed, Reed spelled R E I D.
1: All right, and I am also on Twitter and Letterboxd at File. That's F-E-I-L. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcasts visibility. So tell us that we are neither a pod nor a cast, but together a podcast, and you stand corrected with a nice review. And if you don't, may your next, uh bout of gout uh, be a <laughs> severe one. That's all for this week. We hope you'll be back next week for more Buzz. Bye.
0: Don't you know that it's time to get on board And let this train keep on